0: I love that song, and I love love how we can see a picture of what happens because the Father is in the room. All of the things that that just weigh us down, the burdens that we carry that just are lifted and just disintegrate in the face of the love of the Father, but also the love that, that we get to share together because the Father loves us. We are in the middle this winter. We are working our way through the Gospel of Mark, but as we're working through the Gospel of Mark, we're paying specific attention to the way that Jesus defies culture, religion, and social norms. The the defiance that we have seen so far, the defiance that we're going to continue to see, is not the typical defiance that we might be used to. Um, Really, not the defiance that we see in our time and place. Also. Perhaps not the type of defiance that we have practiced ourselves. At least I can I can own the fact that the defiance that I have demonstrated towards cultural uh, norms, religiousness, social norms, civil authorities—all of that uh, has not always been with the example of Christ in mind. So this is helpful for me to see. You want, you want some stories of? Well, that's what Sandwich Sundays for. I'll tell you all the stories that we uh, downstairs. Uh, the defiance, though, that we see from Jesus is a defiance that, that leads to sacrifice rather than a defiance that leads to gain. We never see Jesus use his defiance to improve his safety. He doesn't do this for his comfort. He doesn't defy for his prosperity. We always see him defying in order to extend compassionate rescue to someone else. Every time he defies, he defies for another. The set of defiances that we're gonna see here today, uh, a couple of them, we're gonna see one, a defiance of evil. Then we're gonna see a defiance of self that really is an extension of the paradigm that we've been talking about, about service over ritual, service over religion, relationship over religion. The second defiance, this is one that that might actually be one of the most difficult defiances of our culture and of our time, this defiance of self. This call to sacrifice our will for his, the call to be about another rather than to be about self, this, I think, could be the most difficult defiance for us to understand and emulate when we look at it from our cultural lens. Now, we also know that Jesus was countercultural in his time. But we also know the extension of that, that following him makes us countercultural in our time if we are able to emulate his type of defiance. This friction that, that sort of comes up as we emulate the, the defiance of Jesus, it leads to a few outcomes. One positive outcome possible, but the rest of the possible outcomes are detrimental to humanity, faith, and relationships. One of these detrimental outcomes is the rejection of the path that Christ made for us because when we realize the cost of following that path, we notice that it's just too high for what we're willing to give. The cost is counted. is found too high. And so the path is rejected for one that we can either blaze ourselves or one that we notice as we're blazing it to ourselves that it's actually a pretty well-worn path many people have traveled before us. If we consider this from the perspective of of Matthew chapter 7, we see Jesus say this, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. Now we see in this, and when Luke records this, this same sentiment in the gospel that he writes, we see in this a really sad reality. When most people fully understand that what following Jesus actually means, that he means what he says when he says that we are called to give up everything else. That giving up of everything else, the stuff that we lose, that cost is just deemed too high. We don't want to give up things like our will. We don't want to give up our rights. We don't want to give up our comfort. Our paradigm for how we are supposed to survive is just too much to give up. And so rather than give it up, we indulge those things and we reject the will of God. Now, here's the thing, though. We need to be careful about evaluating that scripture. And also, we need to be careful about how we talk about this because that scripture... And some of the the teachings that have evolved from it are damaging examples of how Scripture can be weaponized to be used to oppress. That passage reflects a truth that we cannot escape. We don't deny the truth of the words of Jesus in that passage. But it's easy to forget how we began this series Uh, About five weeks ago together, when we took communion together in January, and we recognized that God is at work in all of us. As he's working in all of us, we are not finished works. We are finishing works. We're undergoing the finishing process of God. And so when we read that scripture, we have to apply that lens. Just like the song that we just sang, the work isn't finished. And so if we look at that scripture from a weaponized standpoint and we try to drive home behavior, we're missing the point. The journey with God is full of times Where the hardship of following Jesus, it it, it leaves us to an enticement of the world and we fall into that enticement. It happens no matter how long we have been walking with Jesus. It is constant temptation. And we don't always do well with temptation. There are things in this world that can pull me from the path that Jesus has blazed. if I were to have that scripture used as a battering ram to smack me back onto the path, I think I probably would be more aware of my deficit, my shame, than the love that actually beckons me back to the path that Jesus blazed. We think, when we think about this point from the point of community, from the point of us together. If we are committed to each other, if we are committed to each other, now this cannot be abstract. If you're hearing this in the abstract, I would ask you just to pause for a second. Pull yourself from the abstract, and actually, uh, I'm talking about us together that are in this room, present with each other, right now. If we are committed to each other, we don't use that scripture to drive behavior, or use it to build a posture. When we fail, when we stray, when we fall short, or when we see somebody that we're in community with here fail or stray or fall short. When the world would expect us to condemn one another, to point out the failing. To make sure that you're aware of how far off the path you actually are. When the world expects us to be about revenge, about reciprocity, about getting even, when the world expects us to condemn, we take on the posture of Jesus. We form a team that is about compassionate rescue rather than scoffing condemnation. That is how we use that passage. We do that also with this reality. Not all that we extend the path to compassionate rescue, not all will take it. We understand that. But we don't offer it based on the likelihood of somebody taking it. We offer it because it was offered to us. We offer it because it was the example of the risen Lord. And this is the one that we are here to emulate. Now, another common response to the friction caused by this defiance paradigm, the ritual over service paradigm, the self-focus paradigm, another common response to that friction when we see how countercultural we really are when we do the things that Jesus did, uh, another outcome possible is compromise. Now, there are times in relationship, I've heard, that compromise is indicated and actually shows love. Notice that the only one that laughed at that is my wife. Um, I don't know if that's good or, I don't I don't know. I'll just leave that one, and we're just going to keep, keep on trucking. But there are times where compromise in relationships represents a certain level of self-denial. That's certainly true. But when we compromise with God, we actually engage in defiance of the created order of the world. This isn't about self-denial. When we compromise with God, we are actually defying created order. Compromise, as a result of the friction that we feel from following Jesus flows from a few different areas or, or avenues, some different, uh, certainly things that have occurred for me in my walk. When we see that the will of God conflicts with our own will or <coughs> if it makes us just kind of look weird we can feel the enticement to submit or indulge our own desires rather than the desires of the living god this is probably i think the most frequent reason conflict or i'm sorry compromise comes in at this friction point we have selfish ways I mean, we do. We, we do. We have selfish ways. I have selfish ways. I have the way I wish things would be. I have the way that I wish people would interact with me. I have, I have the ways that I wish the world would accept me. I have all of these selfish ways. And there's times where if we think about what we'll see here in, in Mark chapter 8, This idea that we put down our selfish ways, pick up the cross and follow him. The reality is that there's several times in my walk that that I would rather pick up the cross as long as I can hold on to my selfish ways. And so instead of putting anything down to make room to carry anything else, I just try to carry it all. It's kind of like that deal where, I don't know if, if, gentlemen, if you're like me, but the, the proper number of grocery bags to carry in at one time is all of them. That's right. I mean, there is no like like a second trip. That seems pointless. That's not that's uh, that doesn't even that feels like 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 anti-American. Like I can't wear my American flag Crocs and take two trips to the car to you know to bring in the groceries. I don't have room. Like, Like I will make room. I will like have some in my teeth. I'll like like be like kicking some things and like I will do everything I can to not make two trips. And there's times where my selfish ways and picking up the cross look that way. So I try to pick up the cross. I don't want to put anything down. So I'm I'm like, that's why I wear cargo pants sometimes. Like I can put all my stuff in there, try to find a way to not put anything down because I don't want to. If I put that down, I don't get it anymore. And I want it. And I don't trust God all the time that if I put down my will that picking up the cross is actually going to, to, to fill my needs. Because I can't get over this idea of self. And so the way that I respond to that is compromise. I'll carry the cross for a little while. But then I'm gonna lay it down. I'm gonna pick up all my junk. Then I'm gonna run up the trail, drop that, you know, I'm gonna find a way to try to do both when we try to do both in the journey of discipleship we end up getting left behind probably the most frequent reason we see compromise another one that really got me uh, this something something that, that got me when i was learning what it meant to follow jesus was was really it's a simple thing ignorance of god's word I compromised without really knowing that I was compromising because I didn't really know what God's word said. Now, that came about in a a variety of different ways. I let other people tell me what God's word said. I would assume that um, things that I've heard that kind of sounded like wisey and smarty, like that must be Jesus, right, because it sounds like a good thing. And so, um, you know, things like, like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. That sounds Christian-y. Now, it's a load of thank you. I, thank you. Moderation. I love it. Um, it but, but it sounds good. It sounds like something that Christians would say. So I, like, I'm ignorant to God's word, and it leads me to compromise. And I start treating people that way. I start treating people based on my understanding of scripture when I've actually never explored it to know what it says. And so I compromise out of my own ignorance. The scariest thing is that I was trying to lead people to Jesus through my ignorance. I became really religious. When I was in college, here's your story, Mariel. I would pray on Friday night for forgiveness for the things I was about to do that weekend. That seemed like, like I was checking the box. Like this, That was my own ignorance of how all of this stuff worked. Spoiler, that doesn't work. This is why a community that leads by example is so important. Not only a community that leads by example, but when the example is scripture, that is why church is so important. That's why nothing can replace meeting together. We have to be able to be together, study what the word says, and then do it together. We have to be the friction on each other that kind of like sandpapers off all of the stuff that our own ignorance might produce. And together we end up looking more like Jesus. Next, another reason to compromise, fear of being labeled as a follower of Jesus. Fear of, of what would happen if other people know what you do on a Sunday morning. Fear of being considered a bigot or self-righteous, fear of being labeled a hypocrite, or fear of being accused of hate just because we don't agree. Fear of being labeled leads to compromise. This compromise can look like maybe not letting people know that we follow Jesus not being (laughs) about the missional work of Jesus, being a closet Christian, or sometimes can lead us to to appointing ourselves as the defense attorney of Jesus, as though he needs one, right? So we try to, to argue people into the kingdom. Just as a show of hands, anybody here ever been argued into the kingdom of God? One, I'd love to hear that story, Connor. That's awesome. You're not supposed to raise your hand. I was making a point. Come on. Then don't, you know <laughs> oh, I love that. Now, also closely tied to the fear of being labeled is a misguided attempt to be relevant. Sometimes we will compromise because we are in a misguided attempt to be relevant to a culture. And this starts in a a positive place, right? This starts in a place where we really want to find a way to connect people to the heart of God. And so we try to be relevant to them. And in so doing, we compromise what Scripture actually says because we're trying to make it more palatable. We're trying to make Jesus seem like like he's more acceptable. And it leads to compromise, I wonder if I was this friend for some people, and I'm sure I was. I'm sure there's more stories about that too. Um, Maybe we'll get to in Sandwich Sunday. But you ever have a friend that you need to prep your other friends for? (laughs) Yeah. How many of you are that friend? No? Nobody? Oh, there's (laughs) My kid raises her hand. That's hilarious. (laughs) But when we have friends that we need to prep our other friends for, when we have that person that we need to make excuses for before we bring them into the wider group, Um, when we need to dilute so much about who they are, uh, when they're not around just to make them uh, a little bit more palatable to the group so the group just doesn't reject them, Um, when we do that, that friend is never going to be accepted. Because what we've done is we've basically made it illegal for that friend to actually be who that friend really is we've we've tried to prep the battlefield so much that that person actually cannot be who they are. And so when we do that with Jesus, we find ourselves in compromise. When Jesus is the friend that we need to prep our other friends for. When Jesus is the friend that we need to dilute to make him more acceptable. we have to ask ourselves, how much do we accept who Jesus is if we're willing to compromise who he is? This is a truth. Jesus and his message of salvation. Jesus and what he did for us that we exemplified in taking communion together. Jesus and his ministry of reconciliation is always relevant. We don't have to compromise. We ought not compromise because this is truly the only relevant message in the history of the world. In Revelation, In the revelation given to him by Jesus, John wrote this about the compromising church. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen. That could be one of my favorite lines in scripture. That just sounds awesome. This is the message from the one who is the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is the outcome of the compromising church. Now a third outcome, an outcome that we can hold up, an outcome that we can work towards together, a third response aligns with this from Galatians chapter 2. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Old self crucified, new life begun. A new life that doesn't need to seek worldly things. A new life that draws life from Jesus. He the vine, we the branches. This is defiance. It's defiance of self, defiance of the world, and defiance of what the world says is important. And this is the defiance that Jesus teaches. You join me in Mark chapter 3 starting in verse (coughs) 7. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. he had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded them, the spirits, not to reveal who he was. Now this can be a puzzling passage of scripture, especially if we take our culture and superimpose it upon on the text that we're reading together. Take the last half of verse 8. The news of his miracles had spread far and wide. There is a vast number of people that are following him. People are seeking him out because he has grown in acclaim. We take that, this, this becoming famous that we see in, in verse 8, and we put that alongside what we read in verse 12. Jesus sternly commands the spirits not to reveal who he was. This is defiance of self. We're going to talk about that and unpack that in just a second. But before we get there, uh, before we look at that point, wrapped within the defiance of self in this scripture is a defiance of evil that we ought to spend some time with. Sometimes we can miss the point of what Jesus is up to as it relates to spiritual warfare when he delivers people from evil. And that is at least an undercurrent of what's happening in this passage. Now, what do I mean when I use the word evil? Looking at at some scriptures like like, like Psalm 51, Mark 7, and in 1 Kings 17, this is, is the way that I would describe evil. Those things that contradict the holy nature of God, that lack goodness, and those things that are morally wrong, sinful, or wicked. Also, evil can be those things that, that, that cause harm without a moral dimension. And so that, that would be like natural disasters, and we see that, that's the first king's reference. And so that really, that is my definition of evil. Now, that's evil when I refer to spiritual warfare, what I'm talking about is, is a multi dimensional battle fighting against Satan's attempt to maintain control of the kingdom of the world. This is the fight to get us to stop. Stop what? Stop everything. This is the missional, this is the work to get us to stop engaging in the missional work of God. This is the, the battle that gets us to stop engaging with God, to stop trusting God, to stop wanting God, to stop thinking that God can do any of the things that he says that he can do. The battlefield that gets us to stop, but also (coughs) gets the church to stop, and the battle that gets us to help other people stop. That's spiritual warfare. We see in this scripture, and we see in in many places in scripture, a personal battle between flesh and spirit. We also see a social battle against evil in the world. (coughs) Excuse me. And we see a spiritual battle against evil supernatural powers. This is spiritual warfare. And we see it as a reality from the scripture. The goal from the enemy's point of view is just what we talked about. It's just to get us to stop, to stop reconciliation, to stop our journey towards the narrow gate, to help others stop that journey as well. The spirits that are possessing people in this crowd are attacking people in an attempt to prevent them from finding reconciliation with God. These spirits are attempting to stop people from experiencing compassionate rescue. Now, there are a few different ways that that these attacks come. We're going to quickly address the one that relates to the defiance of evil that Jesus is demonstrating in this passage. This revolves around authority. Now, this is something that we dealt with early in the series Talking about authority, the authority of Jesus. Jesus, as the triune God, has all the authority. All authority rests in Jesus. Likewise, when he commissions us to his work, he grants us the authority to do what he did. That's the place we have to start, is understanding our authority. Because the enemy wants to steal that authority. The enemy wants our worship to be on anything but Jesus. And when we do that, when we worship anything other than Jesus, we we grant authority over our lives to the thing that we're worshipping. Rather than allow Jesus to have authority in our life, we grant that authority to the kingdom of the world. This gives the enemy permission to work in our lives. We see the fruit of that work in terms of destructive behaviors, destructive relationships, calamity. All things that we could describe as chaos. When we end up acting like the things that we worship, we see this come full circle. Acting like the things that we worship then allows the enemy to use spiritual forces to even guide our behavior. This is what's happening to these people that are around Jesus. There's a whole spectrum of severity when we talk about this type of spiritual attack. From an annoying harassment all the way up to controlling the affected person to where uh, we, we see in Scripture where, where uh, an evil spirit would, would cause a person to fling themselves into fire, to, to actually commit suicide or to throw themselves in, into water to do the same. There's a legal system at play when we're talking about spiritual warfare. A legal system that which we've given our life to actually owns our life. That's the way that the legal system works. What we give our life to owns us. The only thing, the only thing that can break this, the only thing that can break this is the sacrificial act of Jesus. Jesus defies the power of the world through the power of his love. His sacrifice for us, an event that we're going to celebrate together in uh, in a handful of weeks here on March 31st, Resurrection Day breaks the authority of the enemy. That sacrificial act breaks the authority of the enemy and opens the door to reconciliation with God. Salvation is possible because of the defiance of Jesus. Jesus defying this legal system. Jesus defying evil. <clears throat> now, how do, we, how do we maintain this defiance in our lives? One way to maintain this defiance in our lives is to be more interested in Jesus than in demons. Be more interested in the work of Jesus than what the enemy's doing. Be more interested in the one that wins the fight rather than the loser. It's important to know that the enemy is active, but the king is on the throne. And so, when we think about our energy, when we think about our study, when we think about our focus, it ought to be on Jesus, not on the demonic. The next thing that we can do to keep this defiance alive in in our lives is be discipled. More than just one on one, be discipled in a group, in a small group, in a large group. Be in a community. Be in a community that loves enough to be accountable to each other so that we learn together how to abide. We learn together how to forgive. And we learn together how to restore. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. And the last thing that helps us to be missional. So I would love to get Vineyard shirts that would just have this acronym on it. RYDB. The last point is just that simple. RYDB. Read your dang Bible. This is how we keep the defiance alive as we read the Bible. And it leads us to the missional work of Jesus. Jesus defies the power of evil by putting himself in the place of the sinner. We defy the power of evil when we put ourselves in their place as well, when we become a sacrifice. Now, back to defiance of self. We see a large crowd following Jesus because <clears throat> of the signs and wonders that lead to compassionate rescue. They're following him because of the spectacular They're following him for the show. They're also following him because they want it to be real. The focus for this group, though, is on the power, not on the compassion. They follow follow that power like a moth to the flame because they want what they don't have. They don't have power. And they see power, and they want it, and so they follow it. This is a common activity throughout history. It's common today. When a group with less power sees the path to more power, they flock to it. Focusing on the power rather than the compassion is a defining feature of religious teaching. Religious teaching tells you you get the power by submitting to the power, and if you submit best to the power, you, be, you become the next one to have the power that can make the rules of submission for other people to, to be able to engage with the power. This is the very point that led people to, to cry for Barabbas rather than Jesus on the day that we know as Good Friday. They wanted the power. The nation of Israel, in that moment, they were waiting for a Messiah. They had created their idea of Messiahship, and they were waiting for that idea to come true. They were waiting for that Messiah that would conform to their Messiahship in order to be recognized. This Messiah was about power that they created. This Messiah would lead the Jews to power over all their enemies. In my notes here, this Messiah is a lowercase m, Messiah. This Messiah would be about political and military force. This political and military force would shatter resistance as a conquering king. This lowercase Messiah, the created by religion Messiah, would have performed signs and wonders, but would never tell the demons to shut up. The religiously created Messiah would say, go tell everyone about what I did here. Go tell everyone how powerful I am. I didn't do this for compassionate rescue. I did this as a demonstration of power for you to submit. That's what the little M Messiah would do. See how great I am and submit. Submit. He would tell them to speak up, announce to the world that the time has come. He would call an uprising and a rebellion. The religion-created Messiah would demand to be seen and demand submission. But Jesus is not their Messiah. He's the Messiah. This is a capital M Messiah. Messiahship for Jesus was quite different. Jesus saw Messiahship as a way of service, of sacrifice, of love. The Messiahship of Jesus has the cross as the defining moment of the journey. While religion thought of the Messiah in terms of nationalism, Jesus demonstrates Messiahship through love. He denied self. He sacrificed for those that were separated from God. He used the power of the living God for compassionate rescue. When we see the power of culture, when we see where power resides, when we see how power is used, it's easy to want that power to be corrected, unless we agree with it. But the power that needs correcting, the power that we see that needs correcting is counterfeit power, a power that is expelled by compassion, sacrifice, and service. What the defiance that Jesus engage in, engages in does is provide us with an example of what real power is, where it's found, how it's used, and what the results are going to be. The cross is the defining moment. We can have useless, destructive conflict if we want the same Messiah that the religious people want. We will get the same thing that we see in world history for those that called for Barabbas. Or we can follow the path that Jesus made by seeing the power as a mechanism for deliverance, a vehicle to reconciliation, the very thing that announces the now and coming kingdom of God. So we see the defiance of Jesus is about sacrifice,